welcome to College Basketball Madness Podcast. It is just past 2 o'clock Central Time, so if I'm a little loopy, that's why. This is Nicole Auerbach, National College Basketball Reporter for USA Today Sports, um, coming at you live after an incredible, incredible national championship game. I literally cannot believe that... Those two shots happened. Um, I've been staring at photos of Marcus Page's shot with 4.7 seconds left, and it defies gravity, literally. I don't understand how he adjusted midair and did that. And then to follow it with, with Archie Dacno's pass to Chris Jenkins for the winner at the buzzer, absolutely incredible finish. Um, the perfect finish to a wild and weird season. Jay Wright gets his first national championship for Villanova, their second in program history, first since 1985. Tons of members of the 85 team were in attendance. Raleigh Massimino made it. There was a bit of a magical story, te- storybook, fairy tale sort of essence to this Villanova team that. I eventually asked Jay Wright about, um, this is going to be a very short podcast, um, I'm going to give some preliminary thoughts about the game, but then we'll have a more in-depth one um, coming at you probably later Monday, but I was able to speak with Jay Wright um, about, you know, 1.30 in the morning, uh, he had just gotten back to the team hotel, they did a little um, kind of the, the pep rally type deal, uh, party, um, one of the ballrooms, and then, you know, he dispersed the teams, the players could go get food, they could go find their families, etc. And Jay, uh, sat down with me for, you know, while, before he was eating, poor guy, I was like, just eat, just eat, you know, and he wanted to get it done first, um, at his table with his wife and his kids, and, um, we just kind of recapped some of the more interesting parts of the game, his relationship with Ryan Archdiacono, uh, his famous, non-reaction reaction to Chris Jenkins' game-winning three-pointer, um, you know, and a little bit more. I asked him, you know, kind of what he had envisioned, if he had ever envisioned winning a national championship, what that might feel like, and we had a great conversation. So I uh, just want to set it up a little bit, and then I'll get you over to that, and I am extremely, extremely grateful for Jay taking the time to chat um, after just a wild night, and all he wanted to do was eat and have a glass of wine, so, and I understand that, Jay, I'm with you on that one, but, uh, so basically, again, I will go more into depth with this with, uh, my colleague Dan Wolken later Monday, we just kind of want to get you a podcast where you can listen to Jay and his thoughts, you know, as the wind is finally starting to sink in, I think it takes a little while, I would anticipate. Um, not, I'm not someone who's won a national championship, but I would think that winning your first um, is just such a rush and such a blur that it would take days, maybe, hours, whatever, months to sink in what you, the magnitude of what you've really accomplished. I was with this Villanova team a lot. They were assigned to me this week. Um, I've, you know, wrote a to 2,500-word feature on Ryan Archdiagno two years ago and kind of understood him as the heart and soul of this team. And 
I think that this was an incredibly likable group. These players, same core group that had early exits each of the last two years in the NCAA tournament, and people were picking them to not get through the first weekend again, and Jay did not want this. Ryan Archdiakno and Daniel Shapu um, are the seniors on this team, and he did not want them to be the winningest senior class in Villanova history that also underachieved in the NCAA tournament. And so he was thrilled for them when they got through the first weekend. But what was remarkable about this team was they never were thrilled about themselves winning any of these games until the final game on Monday night. And they went nuts. I mean, watching themselves on one shining moment was was awesome to watch them watch themselves. Um, because, you know, for I think... <laughs> Assistant coach Baker Dunleavy kind of put it the best. He said he sort of blacked out the shot, the Chris Jenkins shot. And I would imagine that the teammates, too, you know, either, like, it's crystallized in your mind or, like, you don't understand how it happened. So they kind of got to watch it, you know, the first replay on giant video boards in Energy Stadium, which was pretty awesome to get to see their reaction to that. Um, which I think was pretty similar to most of ours. Jaws dropped and uh, just, like, I cannot believe what I just saw. I mean... Marcus Page's shot was so terrific, and you're like, oh, wow, this game deserves overtime. Like, this is a terrific, terrific championship game. And then to come right back out there with that shot from Chris Jenkins. Um, and, and, and more importantly, the selfless play by Ryan Archdiakno. He has hit his fair share of big, big shots over the course of his four-year career. And he did not, instead of taking the shot, he made the right read, found wide-open Chris Jenkins, who launched a... Three from what? Beyond NBA range. I mean, it was, it was an insane shot and, um, and it goes in and it was a wonderful championship game, but also sort of very full circle for Villanova. Um, so much of the talk had been about the 85 team and about how ingrained they are with the Villanova program. The current players know who went before them and they were very careful, even in their, you know, it's just like in the vernacular of a Villanova basketball player is to bring up those who came before. And, you know, they acknowledge that. You know, I think on the podium on the court when they were celebrating and also afterwards when they were at the team hotel, that it is an important thing. You're representing more than just your current team. And Jay hopes that this team stays involved and stays connected, which I can't imagine it wouldn't. Um, Curtis Sumner was at the hotel, um, after one in the morning and he, you know, he goes, Jay, 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 did you get my text? He's like, yeah, I did. He's like, yeah, I just want to see you in person. Um, this is what we do. This is our family. I got to catch a flight in two hours, but I had to see you, had to see you in person. And that was pretty cool. And that's the kind of relationship that the different eras of Villanova basketball have with each other. And this team will certainly um, have its own space in that folklore, um, especially with the terrific run and the string of games they've put together and the insane shooting, um, the insane margin of victory. I mean, the only team better than that was the Unforgettables, uh, that Kentucky team with a zillion pros. And this team may not have a first-round draft pick on it, which is so unusual in this day and age of college basketball. Um, so, very likable group. Um, but, you know, so was Carolina. Marcus Page was my favorite player to interview over the course of the last few years. So insightful. So, you know, 
basketball savvy, so smart and intelligent, um, really articulate. And by all accounts, I was not in the UNC locker room after the game. By all accounts, he was exactly that, even after defeat. Even he carried Carolina in those last few minutes of the regulation. Um, and it was just heartbreaking to watch, you know, for him. And saw him talking about how he, you know, he's going to have to take off that uniform for the last time. And he wasn't quite ready for that. And, you know, that that is tough. And he and Bryce Johnson had a fantastic senior year and, um, you know, fantastic careers during a difficult stretch for, for UNC basketball. And they were a great story as well. But, you know, somehow Villanova, I mean, terrific, tough defense, um, amazingly clutch shots. They really rebounded. Their first half was not their best. Um, Jay Wright describes later in this conversation about how at halftime, uh, Daniel Sheffoon and Ryan Archdiakono kind of told the coaches to go away for a second and say that they've got it. They'll figure it out. And that, to me, is an important detail in this team, in this championship team's history um, and legacy, because that, that is so much of what they were about, um, especially with the relationship between Jay and, and Arch, because they, you know, they both see so much of each other in them, and, you know, he really, Arch really does make decisions based on, you know, like he does exactly what Jay would have done, and so to have that in, in one of your leaders, and, and Daniel Sheffu, also a fantastic leader for this team, you see why and how they set the tone for the rest of their team, um, and it was just, it, it's kind of a great team story. So let me just um, let you guys listen to my conversation with Jay Wright. Again, this was about two in the morning, <laughs> central time. Uh, so I'm here with Jay Wright. It is very, very late. Um, he's finally eating. Uh, so Jay, thanks for talking to us. It's going to go on our podcast. But um, can you describe what it was like to watch Arch? Be, and, you know, he didn't hit the game winner, but he did something that was very Arch-like in that moment. Um, and what he's meant to this program, and just I know you always talk about him, but now that it's actually he's not going to be able to wear that uniform anymore. He uh, probably more than any player we've ever had, uh, I would say, deserves to be a champion. You don't always get what you deserve, but uh, it is just um, it's overwhelming to me to see him uh, get to be a national champion because he's given to everyone else. It's never been about him at that last pass. We put that ball in his hands to take the last shot, but to make the right read in case they double him or people come at him. He makes the perfect pass to Chris Jenkins. That's just pure arch. And uh, your reaction is going viral, your non-reaction. What, so, I mean, was it just, like, a coach's worry that there's still going to be time on the clock? Is that is that what's happening? That, that I, you know, it, I knew it was good because I could tell it went off, he got it off before the sound of the horn. But I thought, you know, there's going to be like 0. 0.3, 0. 0.7 seconds left, and I, I'm in charge of 18 to 22-year-olds. They're going to, go, they're going crazy. I watched them. I got to get these guys back. You know, if, if they come back from the table and say there's 0. 0.7 seconds, I got to get them under control. We have to have a plan. So that's really what I was thinking. And then Roy um, grabbed me and you know hugged me, and very, very gracious. And uh, I asked the ref Terry. I said, "Is this over?" He said, 
the shot's good, he said, but there, there might be time. And then my assistants grabbed me, and then I never heard it's over. But then everyone, you know, Carolina left, we started shaking hands. Confetti. Yeah, so I never, I never actually heard the game's over. Well, it's over. <laughs> I, I still can't believe it. Yeah, I mean, has it sunk in now that it's been, I guess, a couple hours, uh, like the magnitude of the national championship? You know, it, it's gradually starting to sink in. Just uh, what you just experienced with us right there, seeing those, all those Villanova fans cheering like that. They're very intoxicated. Yes. <laughs> yes. And uh, the um, j- just the magnitude of it is starting to sink in. Uh, I'm really looking forward to having a glass of wine with my family and just, you know, watching some videos of what's going on in Philly and, and letting it sink in. I mean, is it something as a coach that you imagine what it feels like to win a national championship? I actually never imagined what it would feel like winning it. I was preparing myself if we lost to make sure that these players felt great about themselves because mm-hmm. they've had a tremendous run. Um, but I never thought about what it would be like if we'd win it or how it would feel. Um, I, but every time I watch it, I watch these games on TV or I'm here, and I imagine, you know, when I'm here, like, wow, that would be cool. Now that I've done it and uh, we've experienced it, um, it's it's surreal. You know, you're, you're uh, up there and they're playing one shining moment. I'm always looking for, like, is there a shot of our team in there? And it's about you. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. Um, so... Obviously, there was a lot of talk about 85, and, and Raleigh was here, and it almost—I I don't know if—I don't know if it was just me, but I've been saying there was some weird, magical vibe. Something was going on, especially with the shooting percentage thing in the Final Four game. It really—I mean, does it feel full circle? Because I know how much the 85 team means to you and the program, and you make sure these guys know it. Yeah, I, I did. I know what you're talking about—the the magical vibe, you know. Uh, the, the, can, the Kansas game, how we played against Iowa, um, it, it did. It, it did feel like you were on some type of magical ride. It must have been what it was like for the '85 team, and and they, they are. I think they're going to always re- remain so special because that was the the ultimate upset. They were the ultimate Cinderella team, and we we were a two seed. We were a pretty good team, so I think we're each going to have our own ride uh, and, our, and a kind of our own place in history. But it's important for our guys that they represent themselves and their team like the 85 team has. They stay very connected to the school. They stay very connected to each other. And obviously there must have been tons of former players and and people back. I mean, just does that speak to the same thing we're talking about? Exactly. I mean, there were players here from every era, 50s, 60s, 70s. You know, our 71 team lost here in the Astrodome Astrodome in the final. And Howard Porter's wife was here. You know, he he has passed. And... Uh, we had a great player uh, from that team, Mike Daly, who kept everybody together, passed away a month ago. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Ed Hastings was here. Tom Inglesby, the old guys from that team. I was thinking about them. Joe McDowell. Um, so everybody, all the 85 guys. You, you saw Curtis Sumter and Josh Jamar, yep. uh, 06, Final 18. They're all here, and they all take pride in the current team. It's really unique about Villanova. So now that it's over, I mean, you push in the Final Four once. Um, and talk about things you want to do different, make sure everything was focused. Is it a blur? Is this past weekend a blur? Yeah. Or like, do, do you can you can you reflect on certain moments now? Or since the game is kind of a blur, but I think we did such a good job, our staff and our players, of really staying focused on the basketball. That, that the basketball ride is real clear to me, and it was re- even even the game, the game itself. Once 
once that shot went in and the confetti started falling, then it becomes a blur. But I, I think that's why we played well. I think we all, you know, and, and you know, even the last time I got caught up in helmet, we all just did a great job of just keeping it simple, keeping it basketball, and that way it's, it's real clear in, in my mind. Well, it's, it was funny. I was um, I was saying to someone afterwards. I saw you guys the first weekend in Brooklyn, and you know there was all that talk about docking through the first weekend. Then, and you guys just handled it and owned it and played so well against Iowa. And I just and then watching on TV the next round and then seeing you guys here, it just there was never any moment where everyone was just like, "Yay!" We're, like, we're so happy to be here. It was always like you guys expected to win, and the players seemed that way. And I thought that was really remarkable for a team that hadn't been steep in the tournament. I agree. I think that's what. What was is really special about this group? They, you know, you, you, we talk to them about it, but you, you talk to 18 to 22 year olds all the time, you know, and they don't listen all the time. It's just part of what you do at that age. But um, they they really carried that themselves. I think it was Ryan. Ryan and Daniel are really mature guys, serious guys, and and I saw that the whole way. And I'm telling you, Nicole, I mean, I, I was really watching them do it, you know, and trying to take everything seriously. After we won the game against um, Oklahoma, you know, they went in the locker room. They were quiet, business, like, next game, let's go. And it, it, they're unique, they're unique young men. Did they really do the the halftime thing you said that they yeah. said, we've got it? Yeah. I, you know, um, they've got, they were in the locker room. Coaches can't come in last. And we were starting to come in. Daniel said, Coach, we just want to do players only here for a second. We got this. Me and Orange got this. So you guys, like, waited? Yeah, outside? we waited outside. <laughs> And so what we do, because the, the timeouts are longer here, right. I mean, the half times are longer, we usually go in, talk to them for a couple minutes, then leave them alone, then we go meet. So I was going to talk to him the first time, and he said, we got this. So we just waited outside and met, and then we went in there after, but we could hear Daniel yell and Arch, and, uh, and then we went in there, and they, they, they calmed down, and they, they kind of had it. That's incredible for the halftime of a national championship game. Um, well, Jay, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're hungry. I know you want your wine. So congratulations, and thanks again for taking the time. Thanks, Nicole. It was good talking to you. And we'll wrap it up there uh, for this episode of College Basketball Madness Podcast. Uh, you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Like I said, expect another one going through maybe arguably the greatest title game ever uh, in college basketball history later in the day slash week, um, probably later in the day. But thank you for listening, and um, we'll be back soon.